You pick up your Bible and wonder, is there more here than meets the eye? Is there something here for me? I mean, it's just words printed on paper, right? Well, it may look like just print on a page, but it's more than ink. Join us for the next half hour as we explore God's Word together, as we learn how to explore it on our own, as we ask God to meet us there in its pages. Welcome to More Than Ink. Hey, do you like mysteries? Yeah. How about mystery men? Ooh, you mean like people we don't know who they are or where they came from? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Bring no past, no future, no present. Well, today in Hebrews, we're going to look at a guy who is probably the biggest mystery man in the entire Old Testament. <gasps> You're talking about Melchizedek. Today on, on More Than Ink. Dorothy. And I'm Jim. And we're sitting here at our dining room table like we always are, we just are. ready we to are. dig into the Word of God with we you. We are, and so excited to be in Hebrews. So excited. I've got goosebumps already. already. <laughs> I love it when we come to talk about Abraham and Melchizedek. This, yeah. is just a, this is just a huge passage. And this is an unknown territory for a lot of Christians. They've, they've really never heard this before. You know, we live in a Mormon area, so people have heard the term Melchizedek all the time. It's probably said every Sunday morning well, in Melchizedek the Mormon church. Melchizedek priesthood, specifically. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, Mormon churches, but in Christian churches, it's like, who? who? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Melchi, who? But it's so important yeah. to understand who... Yeah who he was. And especially from a Jewish context, it's a, he's a fascinating guy. He he has a cameo appearance, and we'll look at it today, a cameo appearance in the Old Testament that spans, wait for it, two verses. <laughs> and yet he gives us great insight into who Jesus is, who he is as our pride priest. I mean, just a whole ton of stuff. So, so buckle your seatbelts if you're not buckled in right now, and we're going to go into solid food. Yeah, because the writer of Hebrews had said, now, you're dull of hearing. This is hard to explain. Right. So grow up, exercise grow your up. muscles, right. exercise, learn discernment by practicing the or, Word of or God. Like my so. teachers used to say, it's time to put on your thinking cap. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so if you recall, we left off last time uh, down at, down at the end of chapter well the middle of chapter six actually in uh, verse twelve and he says he says you know if you're that kind of person who wants to press forward to this great thing and engage your mind be an imitator of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises and in the next breath today starting today verse thirteen for when God made a promise to Abraham and we're off and running right so Abraham is now our example of someone. That we need to imitate in terms of his, the dynamic of his faith and his patience and moving toward the promise of God. Whoa. So what promise did God make to Abraham? Well, let's find out. Okay. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, probably your mind goes, well, God promised him a son. Yes. But it's so much bigger than that. It's so much bigger because than that. He said, I'm going to make yeah. you from nations will come from you. Nations will come from you. Of course, it starts with the son. And the whole promise would fall apart if there wasn't a son to start with. Right. So that's the beginning of the of the outworking of the whole promise. So uh, let's just go into thirteen. Okay. And we'll just we'll kind of work our way through this. Uh, I'll, I'll start it. Hopefully, off this time. we've triggered people. They're like, "Oh yeah, I remember the story yeah, of that's Abraham." Now, okay. Abraham. Abraham said, okay. <laughs> so verse thirteen of Hebrews six. So so for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to, to by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, "Surely I'll bless you and multiply you," and thus 
Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. We're just going to stop right there. Uh, yeah, because he didn't wait so patiently. No, he didn't at the actually. <laughs> there was a lot of problems in the beginning. There's that Hagar thing, and yeah. just lots of bumps in the road. But eventually, he did. I mean, eventually, it was, well, he learned patience. He learned patience, and it was it was 25 years. Yeah. If I do my math right between the promise of Isaac and the beginning of this nation that was going to come out of him and the actual arrival of Isaac in mm-hmm. 25 years. So um, just to kind of clarify, God makes this promise to Abraham. And normally in their culture, they would swear by someone higher. They'd invoke right. someone's higher name. He says, well, there's no one higher than God. So, right. so he can't invoke it. So he just swore by himself. Well, and normally you would think God doesn't have to swear by anybody. He could right, just say, right. I am telling you. Right. right. But he says, I, I myself have sworn i've sworn to buy myself i'm god right and as i'm god i'm telling you that that should be be a good promise pretty good yeah (laughs) you think yeah so (laughs) so based on that you know he's so abraham trusts that but he goes on he says in 16 he says you know for people swear by something greater than themselves that's what they did and they would invoke someone's name by someone greater than themselves and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation so there's actually an oath that ties up that that whole thing uh, the promise in that sense. So, uh, so seventeen. He's just he's still in the ancient kind of uh, uh, tradition that they do when they make promises to each other, contracts, verbal contracts. So seventeen. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of His purpose, He guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things, in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Okay, that was a lot. That was a lot. Yeah. But what are the two things? You know, by what two things? I mean, he couldn't swear by someone bigger than him. Well, I would assert, and there's a lot of interpreting, I would assert that the two things was his promise and his oath. You know, two words well, from or God himself. His, his himself, his godness. Yeah, who he is. And his word. And his word, yeah. Could be the two things. Yeah, so so what he's basically trying to say here is God made a promise. And by the way, folks, he's good to his promise. <laughs> God always he does is, what he says he, he will do. He is good to his promise. <laughs> this is a, another way. We mentioned last time looking at Romans 4. If you got some time, read Romans 4 where we're going here. Because Paul, Paul is actually yeah. talking about the same thing in Romans 4, about this promise and, and Abraham's faith in this promise are you willing to trust what god says which the israelites were not when they decided not to go in the promised land they did not want to trust his promise Well, because we have lots of experience with broken promises yeah we when do people promise us stuff and then they don't follow through yeah. but when god promises yeah he's, it's he's, as good as gold he's you can good take for it, it to the bank he's good for it you know he's good to his word we say about people that we trust and that's all he's saying right here in an ancient sense God's good to his word, and Abraham put his trust in that promise. I mean, he really placed himself in that promise. So by two unchangeable things, it's impossible for God to lie. Verse 18, he's not going to lie about this promise. He's not going to promise you some rest, this pasture-like place as his great shepherd, and then he's not going to give it to us and laugh about it. It's going to happen. This promise is going to happen. Just like indeed with Israel, if we keep going back to God promised the promised land, and while they're in the desert... They actually said, we don't think God will make right. good on his promise, you know? And in God says... In spite of what they had seen him do. Yeah, they that had just plenty of evidence. Amazes plenty me. Plenty of evidence. Well, not so with Abraham. Abraham said, I believe you. I'm in. Both feet. Here we go. 
So we hold fast. We hold fast mm. to the hope that's set before us. And that hope is the fulfillment, the completion, the telios of the, the promise. The end of the process. Yeah, that's God what we're going to. God will bring it to, to. completion. Yeah. But, I, you know, hold fast. This is not the first time in nope, this letter that hold fast before. has shown up. Get a grip on Right? Don't we say that these days? We say, get, get a, a grip, grip. Get a grip. Right? Get a yeah. grip. What does that mean? Take hold of reality. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So, you know, we can have this strong encouragement to take hold of the reality of the hope of God doing what he has said mm-hmm. he would do. Mm-hmm. And he's trustable. We know his character. So that's why we can trust him. I always say that faith is a, faith is a, an issue of being um, persuaded and convinced about what's going to happen, but it's pivotal. Up, upon whom you place your trust, on, upon whom right. makes the, the promise. So if God makes a promise, all the writer here is saying is that God's good for it. So you can place your faith well in his promise because God's God. That's his character. He's not He's not going to lie. He's not going to change his mind. He's good for it. So, so we can be comfortable putting our faith in him because his character is good for it. Faith is based on our knowledge of his character. And by the way, if you don't have the knowledge of someone's character, it's hard for you to trust hard them and put your you faith in them. Hard for you to put your faith you know, in them. In fact, faith someone, is only as good as what it's someone, resting on. Someone might right? come along and say, I don't, feel, I don't think you want that person to take care of your house while you're gone because they're right. kind of a flake. It's a character comment that makes you say, well, yeah, I don't have right. faith in that person. So the more you understand the character of God, the nature of God, the easier it is to put your faith in him. And that's, that's what he's trying to do through the Bible is tell us what he's like for exactly that purpose. Is he good for his promise? Well, where did we leave off oh, here? Uh, so I, oh, so we left off actually at the end of verse 18. Yeah. But let's pick it up at 19 because yes. I love this picture. This gets when the cool. writer says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor, anchor of the soul. What's an anchor? Anchor. It fixes you in one place so you can't be dragged around by the tides. Right. right? You're an right. anchor for the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Whoa, 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 okay, whoa, this whoa, is, whoa, boy, whoa, whoa. it's clear the writer <laughs> makes great assumptions that his Jewish readers understand exactly there was, what he's there saying. There's a ton of Jewish catchphrases That's right. right there. That's a mouthful. Right. A mouthful. That inner place behind the curtain or more commonly we say behind the veil, the veil the is curtain. that holy of holies where the high priest in Jewish in Jewish history would go only once a year and only carrying the blood. And no one else. No one else ever. 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 And he went in and he came back out. Right. So it's a place, metaphorically speaking, where God is. In the presence of God. The presence of God. So what God is saying by this veil and this limited entry is that you can't come here. You're right. not qualified There's to come here. There's only one way in, and it's by the blood of the sacrifice. But here he says, we have this hope to enter into that inner right. place. Are you kidding me? So now the promise that he was talking about before, the promise of this rest, some has something to do, we're cracking this mystery, has something to do with going past the veil that keeps mankind out of God's Separated presence. Separated from God. And brings us into God's presence. And our trust in God's promise allows us with confidence to be in his presence. And it's anchored. There's an anchor there, right? For anchor our hope. is That's only right. good if it's anchored to a rope. Right. Right? Jesus right. has gone in there as a forerunner and and placed that anchor and we follow behind. And because, because of he that, opened the way. Our soul 
is anchored in this hope that we can indeed enter into, into the presence of the God. fellowship, the presence, the holy place And I would maintain, God. and we'll test this as we go along, that that indeed is, that's the teleos, that's the end of the promise. That's the hope. That's the goal. Is being in God's presence. But since you're a Jew, you know that the only person who can go, in there, go into the into the veil, into the presence of God, is a high priest. He's always yeah. qualified to do that. That's Jewish law. And everyone else dies if you go in there. So this is his, in a very short amount of time, this is his segue into Jesus as our high priest. Because now he's tied together the idea of coming into a place of rest, the, the fulfillment of the promises of God. He's tied that into us being behind that veil in the presence of God which for a Jewish mind is like, no, man, you can't, no, you can't do that. You, you don't do that. But Jesus but is Jesus our high did. priest. Yeah. And not only that, look at what he hints right here in verse 20. Jesus not only can do that, and we, we, we can accept that, but he's the forerunner, which implies there's, there's more. more. We come behind. <laughs> we come behind him. And remember, he introduced this, that idea, this noun about him that I call captain. He's the first one to go ahead of us, right? Well, could it be that what he's saying here is that Jesus himself, who's qualified as a high priest, right? Because only high priest can do that. He actually goes in ahead of us so that we can follow in his footsteps right. into the presence right. of God. Is that what he's saying here? And is that the fulfillment of the promise of God? And that's rest? Well, I've jumped far ahead. You sure have. But... <laughs> He has hinted at all those items all in just this tiny little sentence. Mm -hmm. Let me just read again before we flip the page. Because here, verse 20, where Jesus has gone, past tense, as a forerunner, implying more, on, on our, our behalf. behalf. Meaning those others are us. Right, but he's representing us. But he's representing it's us. for our good. Because he has become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And now, if you're a Jew, you're saying, I know Melchizedek's name. Right. But he never went in the temple. Because there was no, no temple, temple at the time. So let's find out what's going on. Oh, this is great stuff. This is where the mystery starts to unfold. And why is Melchizedek such a great picture for who Christ is? Okay, so I was, I was a believer, a young believer, for a fairly long time before I realized where Melchizedek fits in the historical timeline. Yeah. Right? He was at Abraham's time before right. the law. Before Moses, four hundred years before Moses, yeah, man, way before, before any, before any Jewish temple, any establishment of a priesthood, and before any nation. Right. Abraham was just an extended family at this point. He was right. not yet a nation of people. Yeah, uh, he was a tourist this in is Palestine. So yeah. early yeah. in Jewish history, this is like prehistory. Yeah, yeah, this is this is pre. This before Abraham got, I mean, and you look at the narrative, it's before Abraham hardly gets anything done in this promised land that he's called to when he leaves Ur. He comes out there, he comes with his nephew Lot, their families, they come right. out to nowhere land where the Canaanites are. Okay, you can all go no. and read that. We've got to press on because this, what's coming about Melchizedek is so important in the way it points to Jesus. Yeah. So let's push into chapter seven. Let's do that. Solid food. Okay. Can I read? Take it. Okay. Chapter From seven. This Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and mm -hmm. blessed him. Oh, you're going to have to go clear back to Genesis 14 and Genesis read 14. that account, but yep. we're not going to elaborate on it now. Right. So he comes out to meet Abraham, verse two, and to him, Melchizedek, Abraham apportioned a 10th part of everything. Mm. Hmm. Oh, 
So now he's going to describe for us, he's going to begin to unpack Melchizedek. So this is at the end of of verse two. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. Mm -hmm. That's what Melchizedek means, literally, king King of righteousness. righteousness. And then he's also king of Salem. That is king of peace or king of shalom. Shalom, Salem, same thing. Mm -hmm. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the son of God, he continues a priest forever. Oh, we got to stop there. (laughs) So please go read Genesis 14. Uh, verses 17 to 20, you'll see Abraham comes back from a campaign to get his nephew back. But then when he comes back, he's greeted by Melchizedek. And an interesting thing happens is Melchizedek is there and he, and he blesses Abraham. But then Abraham gives him a tithe. He gives him a tenth of everything, which in Jewish mindset and even today is something that's only given to the priests. You give your tenth. So this Melchizedek must be a priest. Well, it says in verse 18 of Genesis 14, yeah, he's a priest of the Most High. So Abraham is treating Melchizedek like a priest, and he's paying his tithe to this priest. But what's interesting about this is if you're if you have any brain cells running right now, you're asking yourself, well, where did this guy come from, and what's he doing, and where did he go to? There's no record of that, and there's absolutely nothing. <laughs> and, 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 you know, and <laughs> Jewish history is all about. Who, what tribe who were you born to? Guy? Who are your parents? Who are your grandparents? Right. How trace your genealogy back? But uh, so you know that you have a, a birthright yeah. in, the, in yeah. the nation. But here for Melchizedek, there is no record of his birth, nothing. no record of his death, no record of his genealogy. It is so silent. It's clearly and deliberate. And he is not one of Abraham's people. Right. He is from right. somewhere else. He's from somewhere else. But <laughs> he has these two title distinctions. He's the king of righteousness and the king of Salem, or the mm. king of peace. The king of righteousness, the king of peace. Now, if you know much about your messianic passages right. in the Old Testament, ding, 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 all these lights should go off. I'll just give you one you see every Christmas, Isaiah 9, the Prince of Peace, right? Uh, and and he upheld, he's upheld in righteousness. So that shows up. Jeremiah 23 has the same thing, the Lord our righteousness. So those, those two phrases, when you look at those, especially if you're a Jew, but if you're also a follower of Jesus like we are, you recognize these two titles as being synonymous mm-hmm. with titles that are given for Jesus. Messiah. Mm-hmm. Right, so is Melchizedek Jesus? We don't know. A lot well, of people like to conjecture it is. We, there's a lot of conjecture. Yeah, it's kind of a fun thing but to what, think what about. What we can say for certain is that the writer of Hebrews is saying here, Melchizedek was a type. He's a type. He's a picture that represents yeah. a reality. And that's he says that deliberately at the end of verse 3. He resembles right. the son of God. So, so he's trying to tell us this Melchizedek, this cameo appearance with Abraham, is telling us something key about Jesus' role as our high priest. And the, the fact that the fact that Melchizedek has no has no documented past or future, I mean, you won't find him anywhere else in the Old Testament except Psalm one ten. I mean, that this is it. This is the whole two verses in Genesis fourteen. Well, the Jews always interpreted the way they interpreted the Bible is that if there is no history, then he had no history, which makes him kind of mysterious in a, in a huge sense. Maybe, maybe since he had no history in time, maybe he's kind of eternal. And so that idea is being laid onto the type of who Jesus is. Maybe Jesus as our high priest does not have beginning and does not have end like Melchizedek. That's the interpretive way you look at Melchizedek in the Old Testament. So he resembles the Son of God, but he is the King of Righteousness 
and the king of peace. And he's bigger than Abraham, the father of the Jews. Right. Right. <laughs> so now you get to really crazy territory. We got to move on because we're going to run out of time. Yeah, there's just one more thing I want to say about Melchizedek. Okay. If you go back and read Genesis 14, the writer of Hebrews does not comment on this, but you will observe that Melchizedek comes out, he takes the initiative to yeah, meet that's right. Abraham, that's and right. he brings him, offers him bread and wine. Wait, where have I heard that before? Huh. Yeah. Doesn't that sound Bread familiar? Yeah. So again, he resembles the Son he of God son. who takes the initiative and offers, I'm the bread of life. This wine is the blood of the new covenant in my yeah. blood. No, that, that picture is inescapable when yeah. you look back at Melchizedek through the lens of Jesus yeah. and then turn around and look through the other end of the telescope and look at Jesus through the lens of Melchizedek. There's just so much resemblance yeah. there. Yeah. So let's push on because okay. there's just way too much to talk about here. I'm, I'm going to take it from verse four. Okay. So he says, talking about Melchizedek, so see, see how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils and those descendants of Levi, those are the priests, who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, and though these also are descended from Abraham. So he's making, it, he's making that parallel point. Abraham gave his tithe to the priest Melchizedek, but the people of Israel gave their tithe to Levi. Who, who was, was a descendant a of descendant Abraham. A descendant of Abraham. Yeah, okay, so don't get this mixed up. This is interesting. Verse six, but this man who does not have his descent from them received tithes from Abraham. I mean, he's not a descendant of Abraham, but they're still right. giving tithes to him. And, and blessed, blessed him, him who had the promises. Abraham had the promises. So Melchizedek blessed Abraham, yes. who was the the receiver of God's promises. Of God's promises. Oh, wow. so how what? how important is Melchizedek? Yeah, and you know, from a Jewish perspective, they would always claim the preeminent distinction for a Jew is that we're sons of Abraham, right? And the right of Hebrews is saying, yeah, but you know what? There's someone greater than Abraham, right? Melchizedek, and you know who Melchizedek represents? Jesus, right? Whoa, this is well, mind see, blowing. That's why in John eight, when Jesus said, uh, "Before Abraham was, I, I am,", am yeah. yeah, they were so incensed they pick up stones to to kill him before Abraham, father, yeah, yeah. father Abraham. So and so seven, he kind of ties up this logic. Right. So look. It's beyond dispute, <laughs> the argument's done, <laughs> that the inferior is blessed by the superior. The inferior Abraham is, is blessed by the superior Melchizedek. And in the one case, tithes are received by mortal men. That's when they gave their tithes to the Levites. But in the other case, by one of whom it's testified that he lives. This is Melchizedek. Right, because there's no record of his dying and passing no record on of his the dying. I mean, it's like right. he's still living. So verse 9, so one might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. What? <laughs> what? Well... <laughs> His logic is impeccable, That's though. That's right. You know, the people of Israel gave their tithes to the Levites, right? Which would, which would make the Levites above them. And Levi was one of the tribes, one of the sons of Jacob. And Jacob was a descendant of, of Abraham. So there's your kind of, your hierarchical thing. But here in this particular case, he's saying, but Levi himself is actually giving his tithes through his ancestor. Right. Abraham to this other guy. There is a right. bigger priest is all he's right. saying right a here. A bigger and a different priesthood. Exactly. There is a priest of all priests. 
that actually precedes and and is superior to Abraham. Who is, resembles the Son of God. Who resembles the Son of God. And he wants us deliberately to start making those connections. How does Melchizedek resemble Jesus? And how does the cameo appearance of Melchizedek in Genesis 14 tell us something key about Jesus' role as our high priest Mm -hmm. in bringing us into the presence of God on the other side of the veil that keeps all mankind out. How does that work? And how does Melchizedek give us insight that we wouldn't have if he hasn't been writing it to us? Well, if if your brain is scrambled right now, don't worry about it because we're going to continue the Melchizedek discussion for quite some time in the okay, whole high priest so idea. You need to go back and read Genesis 14. If you don't even read any more, yeah. read Genesis 14, 17 to 20. That's all there is. Because that's the account. Just but, a few verses. You know, if you want to know what Abraham was doing, what war are we talking about, read the chapter before. And this thing occurs before Hagar, before, right, right. Uh, before Sarah gets pregnant, before God actually makes his covenant Very with Abraham. Yeah. It's so early. Yeah, you, because of the timing, Melchizedek almost undergirds the entirety of the mm. life of Abraham mm-hmm. by the simple two-verse cameo in Genesis 14. <laughs> and he is a priest. Well, he, remember, he already tantalizes by telling us that the, the fruition of God's promise to us of rest seems to be about being in the presence of God mm-hmm. behind the veil that no one's allowed to be behind because of our sinfulness. But Jesus, as our forerunner, is going to allow us to come in there and complete God's promise of rest in the presence of God. Because he is our high priest who lives forever. Because he is our high priest. And by the way, remember, high priests are the ones who mediate between man and God. That's exactly the right role. So Melchizedek is telling us something about the role that Jesus has as our forerunner, as our high priest, as one who is actually superior in every way to the father of Israel, Abraham himself. Jesus? Yeah. This Jesus. Our King of Righteousness. Yeah, King our, of Righteousness and King, King of, of Peace. Peace. Exactly. So we are way out of time and we have a thousand more things to talk about, but we'll bring up more topics about this comparison because this is a radical brain warping kind of comparison that for a Jew, I mean, they're walking around the room tearing their hair out going, how can this be? How can this be? But he's making impeccable arguments right here. Melchizedek is our picture of Jesus himself, which means that the role of Jesus in our salvation and coming into the rest of God was not an afterthought after the Old Testament. It was the original plan from the very beginning. It actually preceded Abraham (laughs) himself. So you'll have to come back and we'll continue to talk about this because this is mind-blowing kind of stuff. I'm Jim. And I'm Dorothy. And come back and visit us again on More More Than Than Ink. More Than Ink is a production of Main Street Church of Brigham City and is solely responsible for its content. To contact us with your questions or comments, just go to our website, morethaninc.org. Mystery man, mystery man. Are you thinking about Melchizedek? I am. Wow. Oh.